This evening, I want us to get back into our line of our series, our, our line of thought talking about careless attitudes in our spiritual lives. And I wanted to take this just, you know, a section at a time and help us to focus and think about, am I where I ought to be in my spiritual life? Or am I, am I careless in the way I'm thinking and conducting myself from a spiritual perspective? I think a whole lot of people are, whole lot of people are. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm sure that even in the Lord's church, there are many who are careless in their attitudes, their spiritual mindset. So I want us to, to review that idea or, th or think about that idea. And then we'll do a little bit of review this evening, but just very brief. Last Sunday evening, we began by talking about careless attitudes. And I made the point that we need to be careful to not become careless in our faithfulness to God. Again, as I pointed out this morning, faith is used at least three different ways in the New Testament scriptures. One is just simply that word faith. And a lot of people, they just blend all three applications into that one word, that one mindset, and that's not, that's not proper. That's not, doesn't, it doesn't take it all in. Faith is my personal belief in God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. My faithfulness is my putting my faith into action through obedience and commitment and dedication. Now, the faith, as I pointed out this morning, is God's word. That is what guides me into my faith. As I said, Romans 10 and verse 17 says, my faith comes by hearing the word of God. And then when I understand that and I accept it and I put that into practice on a consistent, obedient and dedicated basis, that's my faithfulness. And we'll talk about that a little bit in just a moment. So we need to be careful in our Christian lives to not become careless in our Christian lives, in our faithfulness to God. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 16, the wise man wrote, he who keeps the commandment keeps his soul. So he's saying, you want to make sure that your soul is secure. Well, we have a part in that. It's our faithfulness. And so he says, he who keeps the commandment remains faithful, keeps his soul. But he who is careless of his ways will die. Well, we need to take that to heart. We need to understand what he's talking about. Jesus, or in Revelation 2 and verse 10, Jesus says, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He also said in Matthew 24 and verse 13, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now in both of these texts of scripture, the King James Version translates instead of until or to the end, but translates it unto. And the sense that I get out of the difference between the words to and until and unto is that the word to and until says up until the point of. The word unto, unto is talking about actually if I have to die for my faithfulness, I will stay faithful to God. That's the commitment I will make. I won't be careless in my commitment to God. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 19, Jesus also said, by your patience 
And the idea there is your perseverance, your continued dedication, hanging in there, still walking the walk every day consistently by your patience possess your souls. And there's that idea of of consistent, dedicated, persevering faithfulness again. Now, true faithfulness, so dedicated and committed as to lead a Christian to be willing to die rather than violate their faith, now that's strong faith. That's powerful faith. And that is the resu- that, that will result in a Christian being in heaven for all of eternity. Now, we all desire, and maybe most everybody claims to have that degree of faith, but all we have to do is just observe people's lives around us, and we have to look in our, the mirror of our own lives at times and, and examine, am, am, I really, am I really that kind of faithful individual? That's serious faith. Now, we all desire that, to have that kind of faith. And again, a whole lot of people would probably claim to have such faith. But here's what the point of this particular series of studies is about. What does, what does the actions in your life, what do they say about your faithfulness? What about actions that would seem, on appearance at least, to indicate other than? that persevering, consistent, dedicated faithfulness. And that's what we want to focus on. Careless attitudes. Careless attitudes when it comes to our spiritual lives can get us off track and they can lead us to unfaithfulness as we live our Christian lives. We need to be careful not to become careless, as I said. Careless attitudes can lead us to do some things as Christians that we should not do as Christians. And careless attitudes and our spiritual mindset and focus can lead us to not do some things that we should do as Christians. So we need to be careful to not become careless in our faithfulness, in our Christian lives, in our dedication to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our God and Father. Now, we talked about guarding against becoming careless in our prayer lives last time. And so the Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Now, we looked at a whole lot of other verses of Scripture that talk about our prayer life as well, but that basically boils it down. We need to give proper attention consistently to our prayer lives and not become careless in our prayer lives and forget to pray. Now, when he says pray without ceasing, he's talking about keep those communication lines open. And I talked about how we need to keep our communication line open with God. We need to be in conversation with him regularly every single day and really throughout the day. Now, that doesn't mean we we need to be praying every second that we're awake, but we need to be praying to God every day, all day long. We need his strength. We need his protection. We need his guidance and wisdom all day long because the devil again is skillful and he's diligent. He's going to throw stuff at us all along the way. So we need to, we need to be 
persistent. We need to be careful to maintain that line of communication with God that he has blessed us with that we call prayer. Well, let's move on this evening. Most Christians, I would say, if I, I say many Christians, if not most Christians, are careless as to how much time they spend in personal Bible study. Careless. Don't spend that much time in personal Bible study, on their own, being in God's Word. We're supposed to be diligent students of God's Word. The Apostle Paul, he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, be diligent. The King James Version translates it study, but the rest of the verse tells you both translations, either be diligent or study, are saying they're, they're getting the same emphasis across. We need to be in God's Word. So be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling correctly, interpreting correctly and making the proper applications, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we know what the word of truth is. Again, it is God's word because Jesus identified it as such. And we'll look a little further than that this evening. But on the night of his betrayal, he prayed to the Father in John 17 and verse 17 and prayed, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So that's the truth that Paul is talking about when he says rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent. Present yourself approved unto God. I need to be focused on learning God's word and staying in it and knowing what it says and making the proper applications to my life on a consistent basis. I've told the story by way of illustration many times in teaching and preaching, and I'm sure I've said it quite a number of times here, but, but just for the sake of illustration again. David Lipscomb founded David Lipscomb, what is now David Lipscomb University, a major college that is associated with the Churches of Christ. It was not always David Lipscomb University, obviously, but he was a, one of the pioneer preachers, at least Little in, a little later in, in the, the time frame. He was the editor of the Gospel Advocate going way back, you know, in the early, I think it was the late 1800s. And he was a renowned preacher and probably looked upon as pretty much of a scholar within the Lord's Church at that time. And he donated, I believe, a lot of his land, or at least a large portion of his land, for the establishment of the college. I believe it might have been a preacher school initially, or maybe just a Bible school, but anyway, it grew into what it is today. The story is that, that one day his, his house was still on the campus. In his older years, that's where he lived. And one day a student came along, I believe he was probably a Bible student, he came by, saw Brother Lipscomb sitting there on the front porch of his home, there on the campus, and he stopped and he decided to talk to him. He noticed that Brother Lipscomb was reading his Bible right there in the middle of the day. He said, Brother Lipscomb, what are you, what are you studying about? And he said, baptism. Now, if anybody knew what the scriptures teach on baptism, Brother Lipscomb knew. I'm sure he had preached on it, taught on it, written about it numerous times, hundreds of times probably. And so the, the preacher student, he was kind of taken aback a little bit. And he said, Brother Lipscomb, why are you studying about baptism? And again, the indication in his mind being, if anybody knows what the scriptures teach on baptism, you know it all. And Brother Lipscomb 
humbly responded, just want to make sure I haven't missed something. And that should be our attitude when it comes to studying God's word. I knew a lady who read through the Bible every single year. But you know what? The next year came, she started reading through the Bible again. She did that every single year. We need to have that humble attitude. I need to be sure what God's word says. I need to make sure I understand it correctly. I still pick up points from the scriptures, from verses or texts of scriptures that I may have read some cases I may have read them hundreds of times and then something comes through. I did not catch that particular point before, at least not to that magnitude. And so there's so much there. It is so rich in teaching, in knowledge, in instruction, in wisdom, God's wisdom. We're supposed to be diligent students of God's word. God gave us the Bible. He gave us the Bible for a purpose. He gave us the Bible to help us develop our faith, to guide us to salvation as we have developed our faith, and to guide us as to how to be, to be equipped to do all of the good works as his faithful follower, a Christian that he has intended for us to be involved in. When we look at Romans 10 and verse 17, again, as we talked about earlier, the Bible, that is the basis for our faith. Now, somebody might say, I thought God is the basis for our faith. Jesus is the basis for our faith. How do we learn about God in specific? How do we learn about Jesus and what he did for us, our, being our savior, the Messiah, the one who went to the cross for us? How do we learn about the love of God? We get the details in God's word, the Bible. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We also... Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And these three verses really cover a wide gamut of Christianity, of what the Bible is there for. In verse 15, Paul is reminding Timothy that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise in the salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, he went on to say and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So verse 15, he reminds Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures since childhood, and they are what taught you. And if you go back to chapter one, he says, remember your mother and your grandmother taught you? God's word taught you about God, taught you how to become a Christian, but they taught him from the scriptures. So he says, you have known from childhood, the holy scriptures, they have guided you to salvation. And then he goes on and says, you basically, you can have confidence in that word of God because it is God's very word. It is inspired. The writers who wrote it were guided by God through the Holy Spirit to get it right, to write God's very word. And it is profitable for doctrine, which means teaching, for reproof. Sometimes we need that, that reproving, don't we? For correction, we need to be corrected at times. We think we're going in the right way. Well, also, ooh, well, I made a mistake there. Well, I've got to get back on track. I've got to turn around, so to speak. And for instruction in righteousness, 
So it guides us as to how to live that faithful, dedicated Christian life accurately according to God's word. And then he goes on and says, and it is to complete us or help us to become mature spiritually so that we can do the good works that God has prepared for us to do. All, all of that in those three succinct verses of scripture. James wrote in James chapter one in verse 18, of his own will, he, that is God, brought us forth by the word of truth, God's word. That's how we learn about salvation, that we might become a kind of first fruits of his creatures or creation. God's word guides us exactly as to how to come to salvation. Now, of course, when we look at verses of scripture, such as Acts chapter two and verse 38, after Peter had preached that gospel sermon, or at least was in the middle of preaching that first gospel sermon as the church came into existence, as it was established on this earth. And many of the Jews on that day and uh, that, that Pentecost day in Jerusalem said, what shall we do? He said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He taught exactly what Jesus told the apostles to teach in the Great Commission, going back to Luke 24 and verse 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. That's exactly what he preached. And when you go through the book of Acts, that is exactly the, the structure of what the gospel message is and was proclaimed by those apostles and other New Testament gospel preachers and teachers throughout the conversion accounts in the book of Acts stayed exactly true to Jesus' instruction. And so he brought us forth by the word of truth. We understand. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, baptism doth also now save us, King James Version. We understand when the Lord sent that Christian man, Ananias, to teach Saul of Tarsus, who had been a, a, a violent enemy of the church, but Paul had come to realize his mistake again. There's that correction, that reproof, going back to 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 and, and 17. Ananias said, why are, you, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. As we studied earlier, we come into Christ through baptism. Romans 6 and verse 3, Galatians 3 and verse 27, we are buried with him in the waters of baptism. We are raised up out of those waters, cleansed spiritually, reborn, made new, born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus must happen in John 3 verses 3 through 5. So the scriptures teach us that. We need to understand then that means the scriptures are extremely important. In John chapter 6, verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, that is answered Jesus and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? He was asking them because many of his followers were leaving at that time because of some hard words he was using to teach them about following him, what the commitment is. And so he looked at the apostles, he said, will you leave me also? Or would you go also? And Peter spoke up, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
We go a little bit further, chapter eight and verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in, live in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You're truly my disciples. You're my true followers. Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, the apostle Paul was talking to the, uh, to the elders in the church at Ephesus. And he said, now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In all of these verses of scripture, all of these texts, the emphasis is we come to understand how to come to salvation through Jesus Christ through the word of God. That's, that's the guidebook. That's the manual. We go a little bit further. We look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. And here the apostle Paul wrote, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It comes back to the word. 1 Peter 1 verses 22 and 23, Peter along the same line, he says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, and that is the equivalent of having, been, have, having purified your souls, it's parallel, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. How? How did I come to be born again? Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. If we read nothing more but these few verses of scripture, we should come away and say, I've got to be a diligent student of God's word. Look at how important it is, how pivotal it is to my eternal life, my eternal life. So God's word guides us exactly as to how to come to salvation. That's the guidebook for us. But it also guides us as to how to live a faithful Christian life before our Lord. We've already looked at Revelation 2 and verse 10. Jesus said, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. God's word guides us to salvation, but it also guides us to live the Christian life. How to live the Christian life in consistent faithfulness and dedication. Oh, we should hunger to learn more and more, to never be careless about our need to continue to be in God's word, to continue to read and study on a diligent and consistent basis. We need to hunger to learn more and more from those rich teachings and truths so that we can grow into spiritual maturity. And how important it is for us to grow up in Christ, to become spiritually mature. First Peter two and verse two, Peter wrote as newborn babes. And that's how the scriptures portray us when we first become Christians, when we're first baptized into Christ, portrays us as being newborn babes, babes in Christ. Hebrews chapter five, the last several verses, the first few verses of chapter six. First Corinthians chapter three, the first several verses there. As newborn babes, he says, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know, some people think salvation just happens to them. They're taking one step, walking down the street. This step, they're still lost. Next step, something happened, now they're saved. That's not what the scriptures teach. 
it's a learning process to learn how we come to the, the point of obedience wherein we come into Christ through baptism. And through baptism, the blood of Jesus sheds us, uh, cleanses us of the guilt of all of our sins. And we're reborn spiritually. There, there is no other way. God's word guides us in that. We need to be those diligent students. Look at what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. It's not okay that in the denominational world, you've got all kinds of different doctrines that contradict one another. All kinds of different plans of salvation that contradict one another and contradict what the scriptures teach. That's not the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17 and verse 21 when he said that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. He's talking about absolute unity there. Not an agreement to disagree agreeably over doctrine, Christian doctrine. So till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine? Why do some people, why do some Christians find it so hard to still live the Christian life on a consistent basis? One reason is they've probably become careless about their study of God's word. Just don't get into it that much. They depend on whatever they hear when they're in a worship service, whenever they come to a worship service. We need to be those diligent students. No longer, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. How do we guard against being taken in by false teaching? We have to know the truth. We have to know the truth. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. I appreciated Mark. I don't know how many years ago it was. He was talking about and how they, you know, sell all kinds of money handling machines. And one of those is uh, they have machines that, that, that can verify the, the truthfulness, the truthfulness, the accuracy of a dollar bill, right? Run that dollar bill through that particular machine. It recognizes whether it's true or fake, if it's counterfeit. And I never knew how they did that. I guess I just assumed, well, they just keep up with all the different counterfeits. He said, but no, he said, no, there's counterfeits coming out all the time. So how the, how the machine recognizes whether it's true or counterfeit is it is programmed to only recognize the true bill that comes from the mint, the federal government. If it doesn't match those characteristics, it's fake. It's counterfeit. If we know the truth of God's word, then we can recognize error. And that will basically be the only way we will be able to recognize error. And Paul says there, don't get carried away with every wind of doctrine that comes along by the trickery of men. Speak the truth in love that you may grow up into, in, in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We need to mature in our spiritual life. We need to grow up in Christ. And people around us need to recognize that we know what we believe and teach and practice and why we believe that. When we look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, 
Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And then we also look at 1 Peter 4 and verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If we're going to teach something from a spiritual perspective, we need to make sure that we're teaching what God's word says on that spiritual matter. Not just spouting off some stuff. And a whole lot of critics of the Bible, I would suggest to you, don't know much about what the Bible says to begin with. And yet they consider themselves critical critics of the Bible. Well, effectively knowing God's word equips us to be spiritual influences in a positive and productive way on people around us, in the world, on the world around us. We, we remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, where Jesus said, you were the salt of the earth. He's talking to his followers there. He's talking, the application to us today would be to Christians, true Christians. He said, you are the salt of the earth. It took me a long time in my, my life, growing up as a kid and getting to some point of maturity where I recognized salt of the earth. I kind of instinctively put a negative connotation on that in my mind. But then I came to understand, what's salt for? When we go back to more ancient times, salt was a preservative. And it still is, to some extent. Still used that way in some farming areas. But it's also a seasoning influence for good. And so Jesus said, you're supposed to be a good seasoning influence on the world around you, on people around you. And so he says, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? So if you've lost that seasoning, that spiritual seasoning influence or ability, you're not what you ought to be. And he's using an illustration here of a physical, a physical uh, substance. And he says, so what good is salt if it's lost its seasoning ability? Or if it's lost its ability as salt? It is then good for nothing but be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. We don't want to ultimately develop that negative characteristic that we're not being the salt of the earth that we're supposed to be. When you look at verse 16, he goes on and he says, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Men don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and it lights up the room for all who are in the area. And I'm paraphrasing to some extent. But then he says, let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. How can I let my Christian light shine? I need to know how to live the Christian life. Knowing God's word is also key to being able to recognize, correct, and refute where necessary false teaching. Probably close to Paul's dying breath was when he wrote 2 Timothy chapter 4. And the first few verses, the first four verses say, He's writing to Timothy, 
And he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Why, Paul? Why that emphasis to, Peter, uh, to Timothy at this time? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not endure the truth of God's word. But according to their own desires, they will have, because they have itching ears, they want to have their ears scratched, they want to hear what they want to hear to make them feel good in their particular lifestyle. They will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. We need to know the word so we, know, so we can recognize the error, but also be able to correct the error. We need to love our brothers and sisters in Christ enough that when we recognize that they're living in error in some way, that we lovingly, patiently, compassionately try to help them understand their mistake and come back to faithfulness. Come back to faithfulness. Titus 1 in verse 9, he wrote to Titus, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. It's not okay to teach false doctrine. It's not okay to teach, to, to even believe false doctrine. We need to stay in the truth of God's word. Now, so here's the question for us by way of application of this line of study. How much time are you spending in God's word yourself in personal Bible study? Yes, that would take in when we're together as the church in worship services and Bible classes, studying God's word. That's, that's a big part of it, I'm sure. But, but on your own, how much time are you spending in God's word? A careless attitude, a careless attitude will likely result in spiritual immaturity. And we ought to not ever try to fool ourselves into thinking, no, no, I'm, I'm still as strong as I ever was. I'm, 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 I'm absolutely grounded, steadfast and everything when we're not in God's word much at all. When we're making excuses maybe for not worshiping him, being in Bible classes and not studying his word on our own on a regular basis. If you're here this evening needing to make a change in your life. Maybe it's just, maybe something we've talked about is stimulating your thinking and, and, and saying, you know, yeah, I need, I need to get in God's word. I need, to, I need to make some time regularly to study, to open up the Bible on my own, in my home, and just stay in God's word. Maybe even if it's only 30 minutes a day, but I need to do that. Well, that would be a good move. And ask God's, ask God's, Forgiveness, if you need his forgiveness for being lax or careless, but ask him for, your, for his strength as well and his guidance to help you along this line. Maybe you've come to the point where you realize I, I, need, I need God's forgiveness and we'd love to pray with you and for you or we can talk privately. We can study together. We can pray with you privately if that's what you need or what you prefer. But if you need the prayers of the church this evening, we're ready to pray with you this evening if you let us know. If you're ready to become a Christian, repenting of your sins, as we've studied this evening, 
confessing your faith in Christ as God's Son and your Lord and Savior, we can assist you with your baptism this very evening for the remission of your sins so that you can act in faithful obedience upon the faith that has developed within you. You need to come. Won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?